This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That lovely welcome prayer, which we have used many times here, begins with those three words. I love something that's repeated the first time, and it's so good you say it the second time. Oh, it's so good you say it the third time. And you are very welcome here. We're so glad you have chosen to listen to Modern Homemakers, and we hope that the things that we are bringing you are useful, encouraging, give you an opportunity to look out beyond all the things you daily encounter. We're talking about this month of May, motherhood. And today I want to talk to you about preparing for teenage years. And if you are the mother of three toddlers, you're thinking, she must be kidding me. Teenage years are a long time. I'll be ready for it when it gets here. Well, that's the point. The point of preparing for teenage years is not waiting till it gets there. Because when that happens, it's almost too late. It, it, there's so many good things to do with children when they're small that prepare them uh, to be the kind of people that teenagers can be um, when they become teenagers, and more than that, to prepare you to deal with the irregularities of the teenage years. I have invited you these last few times we've been together to subscribe to Modern Homemakers. And if you subscribe to Modern Homemakers, it does not mean you pay anything or join anything. We just have your email, and that helps our metrics. We do send out a few things every year, but not a lot. I will send you a free copy of Loving Life as an At-Home Mom, written by none other than myself. And I hope that you will enjoy it. It is a good form of instruction about parenting. Well, many of us, as I said, think that we'll figure out how to be a parent teenager when we get there. But parenting begins at the beginning. And I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it. If you don't know whether you, where your child is going to sleep when you bring him home from the hospital, you've missed an opportunity to be prepared for parenting because you will train that child to sleep in the dark or the light or the cold or the hot or a room by themselves or a room with four children, it, whatever you choose. And you, it's a kind of thinking that is important. I have a young woman who I meet with quite regularly, and she's still she has a... She has three children, and her last one is 16, 18, 19 months old, still sleeping in the parents' bed, okay? Once you start that, it's so hard to get out of it. It's so hard to get out of it. So parenting begins at the beginning, and I would like to say to you today that if you haven't begun to prepare for the teen years when your child was a baby, it's okay, But there are some things that you might need to make up, okay? I think we can be quite reactive when parenting instead of being proactive. 
And today we're going to talk about how to be proactive versus reactive so that when our children reach the teenage years, we're not surprised by them and we have built a strong relationship with them to assist them during this time. Did you hear me? Assist them. It's a very tumultuous time. There are so many um, portions of those years that are irregular and erratic. We look through Ephesians and we see that Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he was to give members encouragement about their life and how different their life was or could be because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross. So in the beginning chapters, Paul is explaining the many blessings of the cross. When we get to chapter 4, Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then in chapter 5, he tells us to be imitators of God. And at the end of chapter 5, he talks about marriage and the roles of men and women within marriage. And when we get to chapter 6, Paul completes the roles of the family, children and parents, and then he moves into talking about slaves. So this chapter 6 of Ephesians starts with the first three verses. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you. We could talk about those three verses for weeks. Uh, Children are to obey their parents while they are children, They are not to obey their parents when they're adults. They're to respect and honor their parents, father and mother. And it is a remarkable transition. And more than that, it's a remarkable, um, it is a commandment of God's. But he adds to it, if you do this, it will go well with you. You will have long life. So he reminds us that good things will come. And the promise will be fulfilled. When we get to verse 4, he says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I'd like to talk about that one verse today as I talk to you about the things that look like preparing for the teenage years. There's a lot to learn in parenting, And what I love most about the job of parenting is that it is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning, and raising children are new every morning. Did you ever notice that the same little child who woke up yesterday morning is not the same child that woke up this morning? They just grow that fast, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And this starts with do not provoke or exasperate. I love that word, exasperate. It has such guttural sounds that you can almost understand what that means by not provoking, exasperating. The history of the Roman Empire and the word father was very interesting at this time that Paul's writing it. The father was the ultimate authority. He could let a child live or die by merely embracing the baby at birth. Our system has changed very much since then, and both parents are responsible, which makes this verse applicable to us as mothers as well. The definition of provoke is to arouse to a feeling of action or to incite 
anger, to call forth a feeling of action or provoke or evoke or stir up or provide a stimulus that's beyond necessity. We recently did a series on anger, and if you did not join us for that time, please go to our archives and listen to it. Um, anger is a viable emotion that God gave us, but, but when we cross the road with it, we go into sin. And the scripture very clearly tells us that we are to be angry, but not sin. And so this word, exasperate, um, is a verb. It's a movement it's something that we participate in. We get enraged or excited or aggravated or provoking. Do children ever do that to you? They do. They do. And you, you, they do. I guess when I think about it and that Paul very clearly says that fathers, parents are not to provoke your children to anger, I think... What a, how should that work with everyone? We should not be provoking anybody to anger. Do you know how to poke and prod a friend? Do you know how to poke and prod a husband or a wife? I can make my husband angry in about three sentences. I know how to do that. And believe me, in my youth and stupidity, which I have one of those available to me in these days, it's not youth for sure, I find how easily I can provoke. And there's something very sort of sick and yet exciting about getting mad and knowing how to poke someone to be mad. So what he's calling us here to is not provoke your child to anger. So don't do that but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're only using this one verse in Ephesians, but I want you to look at three verses with me in Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 24. The righteous have enough to satisfy their appetite, but the belly of the wicked is empty. Proverbs 13, verse... I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. 13, verse 24. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. Now, I told you we were going to talk about spanking, and it turns out that the days in the month of May are going to be over before I get to spanking. But this is a verse that leads me there, that allows me to think that spanking of a simple sort and occasionally and always for disobedience, not mistakes, not childlikeness. A two-year-old who spills his milk is not a disobedient person. A 13-year-old who throws something at the wall is a disobedient person, and I hope your 13-year-old doesn't do that. And then Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train the child in the right way, and when he is old, he will not stray. Now, some of you are shaking your head and saying, I've heard that verse forever. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that sounds like it's a promise 
First of all, they are, these are not promises in Proverbs. They are not certainties. They are practicals. They are practical applications. And the reality of training up a child in these ways that we've been talking about, in love and in discipline, the 10 things that I gave you on how to build relationships with your children, just one of those alone can change the relationship. Letting your children teach you something about interest. It changes the dogma and the stigma of mothers and fathers who are always right and children who are always wrong. So when we're talking about training up a child in the way you should go, you're training your children to be adults who will be able to do many things at one time. And those 10 steps that I gave you are more about you. They're all about you in relationship to your children. And I assure you, if you take time to engage in some of those, you will discover that you are building a relationship with a child and things that will stay, even if for a time in their lives they walk away from it. And then the last verse is in Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by a neglected child. I can never read that verse without having emotion. My mother was 14 when she conceived me, and um, 15, just short two weeks of 15, when I was born. Um, She was a 14-year-old girl who didn't know a lot about life, obviously, didn't even understand what she had done. Both of my parents have now passed. I feel a little more freedom to tell those stories. But... My mother certainly was not in a place to parent, and neither was my father, who was 15 when, um, what's the old line, knocked my mother up, and and that's absolutely true. It was all about him. She had no idea what was even going on. Her father had told her that if she didn't kiss a boy, she wouldn't make a baby. So the rumor had it was that my mother and father never kissed. They just did the other things. And uh, hence, I was born. Um, I spent the first three years of my life with two spinster women in Northern California who loved Christ and loved me. I know they changed the course of my life. But when I read this verse in Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by a neglected child. I was a neglected child. My mother did not wake up and say, how do I neglect my child? She just had no resources. She had none of her own. She went to work to provide money for these ladies to take care of me. And after three years, my father discovered that I had been born, and they rushed into a relationship marriage that was destined to not survive. And they divorced when I was 13. So... I was a neglected child, and when I say neglected child, it's not that my mother woke up every day and said, how can I neglect? If anything, my mother worked very, very hard at providing a lot of things 
that she thought were important to me. One of them that I find so charming was my mother wanted me to engage in things that she had never engaged in. And so she bought tickets for a theater live production in downtown Chicago, still there, the Schubert Theater. I took my grandson to see a a play there. And my mother had no idea about the theater, where to sit, where not to sit. I'm sure she bought the cheapest seat she could be by, and they were in the nosebleed. And the movie, the play we went to see was Gypsy Rose Lee. And it wasn't until the play had begun that my mother realized that the line of the story was about dancers who do the strip. And she was mortified. And but but she never told me she was mortified. It wasn't until I became older and understood what that play was about that I realized that my mother was so fidgety. And she was fidgety because it was an inappropriate place for me to be. But there was no conversation or communication about it. So I wasn't neglected. I didn't starve. I had clothes to wear. I went to school every day. But my mother had no idea how to engage or parent. The Lord sent many men and women and relatives into my life to help me. So the second part of this is to provide discipline and instruction. So the kind of discipline we're talking about, and these passages in Proverbs reinforce, is discipline without love can be abusive. Discipline without love can be abusive. And we talked about learning to love in our last session, if you missed that class. Love without discipline can be permissive. And it can allow things that are not appropriate for children. And lastly, love can require both in order to discipline well, abusiveness and permissive. And that's not the kind of discipline. Treat your children in the same regard to offenses and sins as you would know yourself to be treated. Don't show favoritism if you have more than one child. Um, I have two grandchildren, and my daughter said to me after our granddaughter was maybe one and a half or two years old, Mom, I think you favor Samuel, the firstborn. I Well, I, I said, I know him longer. And, and then I remember saying, but you know, honey, I do this very conscious thought that girls can be girls all their life. Samuel's going to be a boy with me for a shortened time, and then he is going to go off and live a very different life. I may not have as much communion with him. And then lastly, discipline should be consistent. Without consistency, children don't know why and when behavior is right or wrong. So discipline them in love. Discipline them in the instruction of the Lord. That's the last part. So this one verse is divided into three sections. And don't provoke or exasperate. Discipline them. And then discipline them in the instruction of the Lord. Parents can do this. Building a relationship. Once you have done all of the above, you are prepared for teenage years. You are prepared to have strong communication, honest communication. There is stability in your relationship. There's not, oh my gosh, I never trained them to do that, because you did train them to do it. It's never too late. Remember this, parents, whoever you are, whatever age you're parenting, it is never too late to be a good parent. But starting early is always best. 
instruction of the Lord is the ability to give them knowledge of God. And this has to do with you. Again, this is about your parenting. Do you know the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God? Uh, I recently had a conversation with a group of women that I meet with, and um, it's going to be the summer challenge that I give to all of you. And that conversation is about the parable of the sower and the, the kind of soil that falls, the seed fell on. And, and some of the soil just didn't take the seed, and some of it took it. What's the difference? And in that conversation with these women... Several of them said, I've been saying I'm going to do this. I've been wanting to do this. I've been saying I'm going to study more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to spend the time more at church. I'm going to get engaged serving somewhere. And I haven't done it. And that's what the knowledge of God is when you're showing it to your children. It's knowing the word and then living out what God's word calls us to do. And you cannot do it alone you must do it with the help of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then encouraging your children. Encourage your children when they fail. Encourage your children to love and respect. Encourage your children to throw how, show how they love God. Did you start at the beginning? Did you know all of these things when you first started? You say to yourself, oh no, is it too late? No, it's never too late. And one of the most profound things that I have suggested, and many women have come back and told me how profound it was, and it started in the early years when I was teaching how to get organized, the necessity of organization, the practicality of organization, and how it changes our lives. My mothers would come to me and say, oh, I have a 14-year-old, the bedroom is under cover, and it's, the blankets are everywhere, and the clothes are everywhere, and I'm sure there's dead food in there. What do I do now? I can't just go in there and start teaching them what to do. What can I do now? And I would always say the same thing to them. Seek forgiveness. You're shaking your head. What's that got to do with teaching a kid how to be more organized? Well, if you have just come to an awareness that keeping an orderly home or being more organized about how you live your life, about hanging your clothes up instead of throwing them on the floor, and you've just come to this awareness, however old you are, Go to your children and say, will you forgive me? I should have learned this earlier. I should have done this earlier. But it's never too late, and I want to do it with you. So, so let's build a communication about how to do that. And I always recommend, especially of teenagers, start in phases. Just ask them to do one thing. Okay, so would you just make your bed every day? That's all. Just make your bed every day. Let's try that for a few weeks. And then would you just not leave anything on the floor? Mom, what am I going to do with it? I don't know. Just put it in this basket. Just let's put it in the basket instead of on the floor. Just begin to show them how to organize their space. Don't expect them to go from unorganized and messy, which they never learned how to be any different, to organized. You'll apply organization much quicker than they will. We've done a lot today. I hope it isn't too much. I pray that this passage, which is so full of instruction. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Parents, do not provoke your children. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Remember, the Holy Spirit that lives within you 
the Holy Spirit that came to be with us when Jesus left the earth, the Holy Spirit that he promised to his disciples when his disciples were whining and crying about what were they going to do without him in their midst. He said, I will send you something better. And that was the Holy Spirit who could be with all of us at the same time. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict, to counsel, and to comfort us. Those three words mean so much to me every day of my life. I count on the Holy Spirit's comfort, conviction, and counsel. How we're preparing for the teenage years? Start early. Stay strong. Take Ephesians 6, verse 4, and make it the three points of your life. Don't provoke. Discipline and instruct things of the Lord. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. And remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of preparing for the teenage years.